This is Dr. Sheldon L. Akins, host of the Leading Equity Podcast and a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. What is social emotional learning? Social emotional learning, as defined by the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, or CASEL, is the process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. As we know as educators, social-emotional learning has become extremely important in our field. Students today are faced with more stress, anxiety, and pressure than ever before for a wide variety of reasons. That's why the Leader of Learning podcast is tackling this issue head-on, and in episodes 42, 43, and 44 of this show, we will have parts 1, 2, and 3 of a series on social-emotional learning, featuring guests such as Krista Lay, Brian Kulak, and Elizabeth Merce, who will each discuss social-emotional learning from different angles. Here in episode 43, part two of our series with Brian Kulak as a guest, we'll discuss social-emotional learning from an adult perspective. Guys, another great guest in this episode, which is really part two of our conversation on social-emotional learning that we started with Krista Lay. I have Brian Kulak, and he is the author of Level Up Leadership. Brian, welcome. And if you could just, you know, for the listener's sake, tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Yeah, my name is Brian Kulak. I'm uh, a K-5 principal in South Jersey, just about five, ten minutes from the bridge over into Philadelphia. Uh, before that, for four years, I was chief academic officer uh, in the same district. And before that, I taught high school English and journalism for 15 years in um, Audubon, which is uh, my alma mater. So uh, first year principal, just trying to figure out my way, but actually having what I would say is probably the best year of my career so far. So I'm excited to be here. That's awesome. And actually, I just learned that we have a couple things in common. First of all, I am also a first year administrator and um, I majored in journalism. Nice. I kind of had a what you might call a short-lived career in journalism, but it was very short because I realized education was my calling. And um, I was an education major before I switched to journalism. And I was like, man, I got to get back to it. That's really what I want to do. But that, that's cool that you, you taught journalism. I like that. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when people ask me what I would do if it, if it weren't for, for teaching and education, I always say psychology because I'm fascinated by it, which kind of, I think, lent itself to what we're going to talk about today a little bit. But the journalism piece, yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've been writing since I could hold a pen. Um, and so to be able to publish last January, finally, at the ripe old age of 42, has been a long journey. But, um, you know, I think we might have both dodged a bit of a bullet because journalism, 
as we knew it is not journalism now. So I think mm-hmm. that would have been a little bit difficult to have made that jump. So I think we both landed in the right field. So let's get back to a couple of things you said. We'll, we'll definitely get into the writing and, and your book. Uh, but before that, you talked about the interest and passion you have in psychology, and that also lends itself well and leads into the talk on social emotional learning. So when we spoke with Krista, she gave us an idea for what it was about, um, how, how schools can really, or, or I guess how schools are are really coming around to realizing how important it really is and that it needs to be embedded in everything that happens across the board from the vision and mission of the district and the school, but also the instruction in the classrooms. Um, your take on it is a little bit more about, correct me if I'm wrong, social emotional learning, but with a spin on adults. Is that correct? That is, yeah. So everything you said is, is so important because you're right. It, it's about time, I would say, for social emotional learning to be embedded. And I would like to see it more sort of usher out the, uh, I would call nonsense of standardized testing and, and what that does to our kids and um, our colleagues. But uh, what was interesting about my transition to the principalship is I just changed places with the former principal. So she's still in district. She and I are very close, um, which is, has been very helpful. But along with that change, our superintendent allowed the building principals to choose their own adventure by way of professional development for this year. So I had to think for about 10 seconds before I thought I really want to do social emotional learning. But um, because we've already started to dip our toes in the water as far as it goes with children, I was starting to realize that never talk about ourselves. We never think about all the collective stuff that adults have and bring to school and then leave, you know, sort of at the doorstep to then provide what our kids need. So uh, I really wanted to spend the entire year and we have uh, on ourselves and how to provide ourselves with the sort of um, support that we need and that we would give to our kids. Later, when I met Krista, uh, just a couple of min- months ago at ESET, we were talking about that and how it's very difficult to teach and preach social emotional learning for kids if you're not able to navigate that or negotiate that for yourself. So that's kind of where it, it started. Um, I'm also very lucky that my staff is incredible. Very young, very driven. I have a couple um, people I'll lose pretty soon to their own leadership positions, which is great. Um, But having that uh, core group of teachers, all of whom um, are really kind of in their 30s, um, has been helpful because they kind of pretty much say yes to all my wacky ideas about PD and so far so good this year. Awesome. So, okay, when you talk about social-emotional learning for adults then, uh, just help me understand this a little bit better. Are we talking about like teacher wellness or is it more about getting them in the right I don't know frame of mind let's say to then support their students on a social emotional level that's a great question it's both um, but you can't have one without the other so it is about teacher wellness first and foremost um, and that um, sort of Pandora's box can stay as open or as closed as it needs to I've been really uh, proud of my staff uh, about how much we've been able to share with each other about who we are and, and what makes us so special at our school. Um, and some of the sessions have been, you know, pretty emotional. Some of them have asked people to dig deep, um, whether it's um, privately or uh, through a share out. And again, um, it was risky. I knew going in, it was going to be risky, but um, I started the year with um, the mantra that we are all connected. So that was my first sort of foray into here's how I'm going to tell you and preach to you about how um, social emotional learning and how important we are to each other is. 
So, I mean, you know, my staff didn't know what was coming, but the first day in September, I just kind of went around the room and I said, you know, we are all connected and I can prove it. I just went around and talked personally to as many teachers as I could about even the tangential ways that we're related. So my fifth grade teacher, I taught her son years ago. Um, My special ed teacher was going through IVF. My daughter was born through IVF. Uh, My third grade teacher was the first one to ever welcome me to um, my school uh, five years ago in in a different role. And she had no idea. She didn't remember it. So I just kind of ticked off all these ways in which we're connected, which was the first way for me to sort of build um, rapport and sort of confidence that what I have for us, what my plan for us is, is going to work if we just remember that we're all connected. So the wellness piece you talked about then leads to, okay, if we're all connected as adults, then how can we convince ourselves, remind ourselves and our kids that we're all connected to each other that way too? And I think I have to tell you, I just think it's been really successful, at least from where I sit, for our relationships with each other and with our kids. Okay. So uh, let's let's take it piece by piece, if, if we could, then uh, starting with teacher wellness. Um you know, I'm not a, a building principal, but I am a building level administrator. And so I know, especially being new, you know, at this point, I've I have not even been at my school for like half a year yet. Um, but there are things that I have started to put in place in terms of um, how I work with teachers and coach teachers to, you know, help build them up a little bit. And because I do believe and I'm, I'm assuming you'd agree that a lot of the positive culture in the building starts with teachers first. And so, for example, one of the I, I consider it a little thing. Maybe teachers think it's a big deal. I'm not sure. But um, when I visit a classroom and I see something really good happening, I leave a little note. I call them love notes, but it says across it, uh, I am not afraid to be great, which is like a mantra that our superintendent and that our district have for our students. But I think it, it's important for teachers to understand that, um, you know, I'm not there to catch them doing something wrong. It's something that I want to be able to find the, the good things that they're doing, too. And I, I believe that that's at least a small piece of making sure that I'm starting with uh, that teacher wellness, too. But, you know, how would you tackle that uh, in general and also in your role as a principal? It's a great question, too. So what I've done is, and, and I actually wrote about this uh, a little while ago, I, I, I've stopped having fleeting thoughts about how great my staff is, and um, I've started to just tell them. So, you know, at first, that level of transparency can really be off-putting if you're not used to it, but I really didn't care. I, I figured if, if I was going to say kind and positive things out loud that I could put in writing like you did, and it made people blush at first, um, at least it's for a positive reason. And here's a perfect example. I have a fourth grade teacher who has come to us in, in such a um, circuitous way. She was long-term sub, then she finished, then she came back, and then a teacher was terminated, so she took over. And she's amazing. She's just a, the kind of person that you want to be around. So one day, she was walking toward me uh, beginning, of the, beginning of the day, and I, I stopped her. I said, Eileen, I just want to tell you, every time I'm in your room, there is such a sense of calm and compassion, and I just don't want to leave. So it wasn't specific to a lesson uh, or a teaching point or, or anything. It was just about her. And the first thing she said is, oh, I have great kids this year. It's really easy. I said, no, 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 no. you do. I, I get that. But this is about you. I mean, I'm just really happy to have you in the building. And then I just kind of walk, walked away. So you almost picture it like in a cinematic sense. Like, I don't know if she stood there for a second and thought about it or if she was really kind of taken aback and was uncomfortable, but I'm not going to sacrifice. I will sacrifice some discomfort to tell people what I think 
in that way and has built so built so much capacity because now people feel really good about themselves. And that's not to say they didn't before because my predecessor was amazing at her job in so many ways. Uh, I'm trying to make it my own. And this is the way I am with my children, I, with my wife. I mean, I just feel like if you if you have a thought that would make somebody feel good about themselves and work just as hard or whatever the case may be, you should say it. So that's what I'm. So just like you with your love notes, which is a great idea. A lot of people use Voxer too, and they leave the room and just get, leave a box for people. I'm starting to say it as often as I can. So there's not really a day where I'm not finding something positive to say about somebody. It could be a kid. Um, I pick up and drop off. I'll just walk up to a parent and say, "Listen, I got to tell you, your kid makes me laugh every day. You should be really proud. I'm so glad to have him or her here." So it's a really again back to the connectedness building a community of people who feel good about themselves and good about school. And again, I think it's really kind of served us well at Tatum. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, Krista and I were talking about too, and you know, it's, it's almost become cliche at this point to say that relationships are everything, even if it's not building up teachers and, and finding the positive things, even if it is providing some of that constructive criticism, I think it goes a long way to two things. First, it goes a long way when you're able to give them feedback, even if it's constructive criticism right away. You know, don't sit on it. Don't wait on it. Uh, don't wait until it turns into an observation, you know, an, yeah. an evaluation, yep. just, Hey, I, I stopped by and I saw some good things, but, and you know, ha- so having it, um, immediate yep. and then also just being able to have those honest conversations if it is a little bit critical, I think that helps the relationship. It might be hard for the teacher to hear, but um, I really do think that goes a long way. Yeah, you're right. You know, the messenger and the message are just as important. And I would argue that setting up these relationships in the beginning of the year, and again, I wasn't a new commodity. Everybody knew me because I'd been in the district for four years, but they didn't know me as a leader. And so I'm sure there was some trepidation, but setting that up early does help those conversations later because it takes this thing out of whatever that might be. Because again, I, I, I can't walk down the halls and have everything be sunshine and butterflies all the time. There are things that need to be said and changes that need to be made and so forth, whether it's, you know, micro changes in, in instructional pacing or, or big changes. And like, I might need to move you from, from one grade level to the next, but that is only really, I think, mitigated by the effort uh, we put into building those relationships. And my, my staff is very small. So I only have, you know, 20 plus people, um, on my staff. Um, so we are all very close, but you're right. I mean, it, it does help when you, you're as transparent and honest uh, in the positive as you are when things need to change a little bit. And, and I think, again, that's, that's been a hallmark of our year so far uh, at my school. The Leader of Learning podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning Podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. Back to social-emotional learning. So uh, the the next piece that we kind of touched on then was, I guess, preparing the adults, the staff in our buildings to be able to then in turn deliver this social emotional learning as again embedded in as much as they can do with their students instructionally speaking culturally speaking um, related back to the vision and mission of the school so what are the steps then that are at our, that our staffs can take to be able to do that 
So what I did is, um, again, back to relationships, I tapped into one of my own, um, and I brought in a professional licensed therapist named Karen Draper, who um, is a mom in the district, and her kids went to my school, though I missed them uh, by a few years. And I was very close with her son, who just graduated high school. And and so that relationship has been in place for about seven years. And I think if you're going to talk about things outside the scope of education, one one way to do it is just kind of sit in a room with people and muse and sort of just talk about what you think is happening or how we can make changes. And another is to bring in experts. And so because of my relationship with her, I had her come in to two PD days and one PTA meeting. And basically the idea was the first time she came in, we just wanted to learn more about how our minds work, um, what triggers stress, how we can call it out, how we can get better with it, how we can identify our own and then help the children with theirs because it's growing, this idea of anxiety and stress in our kids. Um, and so the first time she came in, she put us through this activity where she gave us all a brown paper bag that you would see, you know, and we went to elementary school and we were bringing lunch that day. And on tiny slips of paper, she asked us to write down that which was weighing us down. Um, it could be one thing, it could be 10 things, whatever, and then drop it in the bag. And as it was happening, and I didn't know she was going to do this, but as it was happening, I saw the staff really start to get uncomfortable because I think they all thought we were going to talk about them. But that wasn't her plan. Her plan was to to kind of illustrate that we all have this stuff in our bag. And when we get to school, it's still there, but it stays there. And we teach and we do our best to make the best possible uh, experience for our kids that day. And then we go home and the bag is still there, but it doesn't mean we can't start taking things out as time goes on. Um, And then she talked about now, imagine if you were a kid and you have this gigantic backpack full of stuff and with your books and your slime and your fidget spinners and your iPads, you also have your own stuff, divorce, death, whatever. Um, and we wanted to know if, the, if our goal was to take it out of the bag with the kids or to leave it there. Or we're like, what do we do? And she put us through this whole um, almost lesson about what to do with that. And then she led into brain science and how children's brains you know, aren't fully formed or people's brains until 25. And then she came back a few months later and I told her I was going to take some things out of my bag and present it to the staff. And so I did. And I didn't ask anybody to do it in return, but just reminded them that we all know there's stuff there. Uh, we can share some with each other. Um, we can look for support in certain um, relationships in our school and, and in our larger community. I am here for everybody if they need anything, but what's in the bag is yours and you can take it out or add to it as much as you need to. But without that professional bent, I don't know that we would have arrived at this understanding of all the things that we have in our collective bags that then also sort of leads down into what our kids have and how to approach them. So all that to say, I think it's really important that you bring in people who know better than you if you're going to make these sort of changes in your schools, um, because we don't know brain science. Karen does. She taught us as, as best she can, taught us and our parents. And now I think we feel a lot better about how to approach kids with trauma and anxiety and abuse and all the kinds of things that are going on in their lives. That's great that you guys uh, were able to bring in an expert and, and rec- I guess recognize first and foremost that the need was there to be able to bring in someone from the outside. Um, I, I guess what I was wondering is if you might be able to give us a, a small example of maybe something that your staff are doing or just in your experience um, a teacher is doing to really make that a bigger part of their instruction in the classroom? Well, what is, well instructionally speaking, I think um, our teachers are acutely attuned to what is happening with, you know, specific kids each day. You know, any building leader, any teacher would be lying if they said they, they weren't 
um, aware of X amount of students who bring X amount of things every single day. And that's not to say that we disregard the other 20 or 25 or whatever the case may be, but we, we're aware of kids who are going through some really difficult things. And so I think you have to instructionally temper that, temper your expectations with what they're capable of doing on that day. So I have, you know, a kindergarten kid who's going, whose parents are going through a really long winding divorce. Dad has now become sick. Um, it's contentious. He comes in and we have no idea what to expect every day. So we have figured out ways to help him help himself. So some days he comes to me and gets some work done. Some days we'll send him to first grade, which is a change of scenery and where he'll be next year to get some work done. Some days he goes to the common corner for 10 minutes. You know, we have all these things in place to help kids like him instructionally and behaviorally. But again, in so many schools, that kid would be written off as bad or be sent home or whatever the case may be. And none of that's going to help him um, or help us help him because we're just not willing to do the work to understand what's going on from a social emotional standpoint. And again, I would say that that's much easier to do when you are aware of your own and the building is aware of its own. So we can then become a community of, of helping helpers for kids like that. So you know, instructionally, I think it's a, it's about breaking down lessons and understanding what a kid is capable of on one of those days. And, and behaviorally, it's about how many different things can we do to make sure this kid is supported so that it doesn't become a discipline thing. Because he's this kid in particular is not a discipline issue because he wants to be. His little five-year-old brain can't figure out what's going on. So our adult brains have to help him. You know, it's fascinating as you're talking, I'm thinking of just how um, connected social emotional learning is with not only classroom instruction and differentiation, but also, uh, you know, restorative practices and, and yeah. dealing with quote unquote discipline in yep. school and just the, the interconnectedness is just fascinating, I think. And, you know, uh, I think that differentiated instruction could be a topic all unto itself. And I think that restorative practices is definitely a topic unto itself. But um, I just appreciate everything that, that you said about that. And, and it just really gets me thinking about how everything just goes together and how when you deal first and foremost with differentiating for the student and their social and emotional needs, then that will help differentiate the instruction for making sure that first we've dealt with what the student needs and now we can deal with how to get them to learn best and how to get them to grow from point A to point B in a way that really matches their individual needs more so than anything. So I think it's great. Listen, we're kind of running out of time and we haven't really talked about your book and maybe it's because it's not super connected with social emotional learning, but I think in some ways it is. If you could just plug the book a little bit and uh, again, the book for the listeners is Level Up Leadership, Advance Your Edu Game that was put out by the Edumatch Publishing uh, organization a little while back. And uh, in the book, you say you provide readers with five ready to use leadership strategies. So maybe just briefly mention what those five things are. Yeah. So the book is an extended analogy between the evolution of the video game industry um, from inception until now and educational leadership, because it kind of followed a, a sort of a similar trajectory. Um, so each chapter, um, the, the hook is some connection to gaming, like walkthroughs or restoring health or heroes. And at the end of each chapter, after which I've made the connection between gaming and education, uh, I use the Super Mario icons, the uh, mushroom, the fire flower, and so forth. And there's five. And each each one is um, sort of ready to use strategy that you can, that applies to that chapter, but then they can apply it to your leadership or your instruction. Um, so there's not five for the whole book, but there's five for each chapter. And so I talk about things like, um, so for restoring health, I talk about taking time each day 
Um, and I use com.com to just do nothing, just kind of, you know, zone out. So for com.com that, you know, that they're in 10 minute segments. So it's just 10 minute meditation to kind of, um, re-energize, especially during stressful times, uh, or times when I'm doing things I can't stand like budget or, or, uh, no, basically just budget. I can't stand budget stuff. <laughs> um, uh, or, you know, I talk about, uh, in the walkthrough chapter, giving yourself, um, a goal of one hour where you are walking through your building and you're sort of recording every single thing you do. I use my voice memo for it, um, to see what that hour was like, how many times you're interrupted, how many times you stop and tie a shoe, how many times you stop in the same teacher's classroom just to kind of chart your, your day like a gamer would do. So, um, you know, the, the book is um, nostalgic for people who kind of grew up with gaming, but you don't have to be a gamer to read it. Uh, it does give a lot of uh, insight into how the uh, how education has changed and how I think the pendulum is swinging in a really positive direction, despite the fact that, you know, we kind of get beat up in the national and local media. Um, I know it's a tough time to be in education, but I think it's an exciting time. And look, being on a podcast like this wasn't something that anybody did, you know, five, 10 years ago. And now here we are talking from two different parts of the country about how to get better. So um, the book talks about things like that too. So yeah, it's um, Level Up Leadership, um, which is uh, available on Amazon now. Excellent. Thank you for that. And uh, of course, I will put the link to the Amazon page uh, for Level Up Leadership in the show notes for this episode and a link to Brian's website where you can read more about the book and, and about him. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, the, the talk on social emotional learning is really, really essential. It's important. You know, we said it and in the last episode also with Krista that it's just become so necessary. You, you mentioned, uh, I think the word you used was anxiety or, or I'll throw out the word stress. You know, our students have more of it, regardless of what you call it these days, than ever before. And I just right. think it is so important. And as teachers get better at learning how to, not not just teachers, I don't want to say just teachers, as all of us get better yes. at incorporating it into every aspect of our schools and our district, um, you know, from, from adults like you were talking about, to students all the way down, um, just so, so important. So thank you so much for your time. And of course, before you go, how can people reach out to you and, and maybe if they have more questions or want to learn more about the stuff that you talked about or anything in your book, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So Brian uh, will take you to all kinds of things, including my blog. Um, you know, the, the stuff that Dan just talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, super active on Twitter, which I think everybody should be if you're in education, uh, at B Kulak, K U L A K one, one, uh, I'm, real active. I, I do um, respond and follow back and all that good stuff, but I'm learning so much from the, from the Twitter sphere that I, I think uh, everybody should be on it. So I look forward to connecting with, uh, with your audience. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.